Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sandy Cuff and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Hour number two underway. Sandy Clef, Sean Rotar. Sean is off today. He'll be returning tomorrow. This is Mile High Sports, 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3. Our caller text line is 303-831-1340. A lot of ground to cover on this Wednesday afternoon. We stream on milehighsports.com slash listen or slash watch. If you prefer to uh, uh, watch me all by myself here in the studio, but now joined by our buddy, Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette, who reports daily on the Broncos. And I guess, Chris, we first have to get to the moves that were made today. 25-year-old Nickelback Isang Bassi waved and a bigger import, uh, Randy Gregory, released today by the Broncos at the age of 30 after uh, signing a five-year, $70 million contract that was not entirely guaranteed, but uh, it's a big move today nonetheless, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. First of all, thanks for having me on the show. So uh, I guess if you lose your job on the field, you might lose your job on the team. That's pretty much what happened to Bassey. He was replaced by Jaquan McMillan at Nickelback, and Randy Gregory was replaced by Nick Benito at outside linebacker, and boom, a few days later, they're both gone. But obviously the Gregory thing is the big news. Um, Yeah, it's... uh, I'm probably surprised at how quickly it happened. I mean, if they had lost a couple more games and that sort of thing, and you go to a total youth movement, yeah. But the mere fact it happened now, obviously they didn't think Gregory was going to be content in a reserve role. So uh, they certainly wanted to minimize any possible distractions moving forward, and he's gone. Well, you're right. He wasn't very good in a starting role either. Nine tackles in four uh games with just uh, the one sack uh, although in limited duty uh, playing less than 50 percent of the time on defense Sunday in Chicago uh, 33 snaps in fact he did have three tackles and a quarterback hit and by his recent standards uh, that seemed pretty good but you're right he had been beaten out and uh uh, I go back a ways, Chris, as you know, and I remember when Dan Reeves came to Denver in 1981, um, he said several things, but the one that stuck with me and has for the past 40, almost 45 years now, is that if you're in your 30s and you're not starting, it's a young man's game. And if you're in your 30s and you're not starting, 
sooner or later, you're going to be gone. And that seems to be the case here with the ex-cowboy, Randy Gregory. Is there anything in particular that caused him to fall out of favor with the coaches, in your view? Well, I don't know what went on behind the scenes, but Sean Payton did say today that he did not ask to be released. I know there were some reports in uh, that there was, thing. in fact. So that's right, that's, right. that's know, news. I don't know what's accurate or not, but he clearly stated Peyton that he didn't ask to be mm-hmm. released. And obviously, Nick Benito, young and up and coming guy, and it was a great move starting him against the Bears. Two and a half sacks, boom. So uh, I'm sure there were discussions with Gregory about his role moving forward, and uh, you know, the last thing they wanted was a potential malcontent on their hands so the move was made and um, you know Sean Payton inherited Randy Gregory he's not his player and uh, he did start off well last year but then couldn't stay on the field but he's shown little this year and he thought it was just hey let's cut the cord I mean Sean Payton I didn't bring this guy in and let's let's move on Sean Payton you're correct did not bring in Randy Gregory But George Payton did bring in Randy Gregory. Five years, $70 million. Now, I understand uh, that obviously gets his money for uh, this year. Um, And most of the guaranteed money is gone, but I don't think all of it is gone. There's some that carries over to next year. Um, Isn't this kind of a strike, uh, yet another strike, in fact, against George Payton? As is the... uh, Waving of Isang Bassey, also a George Payton guy, not a Sean Payton guy. Yeah, there's certainly been some ups and downs for George Payton, and uh, I'm sure he would be the first to agree that Randy Gregory didn't work out. But, of course, he did also take Nick Benito in the second round of the draft last year, and if he pans out and continues piling up sacks, then you've certainly got to give – George credit for that particular draft pick. But but being honest about it, and I I thought Sean Payton was apparently on the field coming out for the second half the other day. He told the sideline reporter for CBS that the Broncos needed a lot more from their outside linebackers, and he wasn't starting uh, Randy Gregory in that game. So presumably he was talking about Benito and Cooper, who did in fact play a lot better in the second half, but – even Sean Payton was not thrilled with Nick Mignola's first half, and he was not thrilled with Jonathan Cooper's first half either. Uh, is part of this, maybe a small part, uh, the assumption that people like Simmons and Browning and Williams and Clark and Jewell and Purcell and P.J. Locke will all be coming back in the next week or two? Yeah, there's definitely depth on the horizon Frank Clark said last week he expected to return against the Jets. He wasn't as gung-ho this week, offered no guarantees of when he'll be back, but at least he did return to practice. He's missed the last three games with a partially torn adductor muscle. So even if he doesn't play, he'll soon be back. And Baron Browning was designated for return from the pup list today. So he might be a few weeks away, but that's on the horizon for him to play. You know, one might think that, hey, 
let's keep Gregory around for a couple more weeks until these guys are definitely back. But obviously they made the decision to let him go this week. And, uh, you know, I don't know what went on behind the scenes, but uh, it's possible they still could be a little thin at outside linebacker against the Jets on Sunday, but help is on the way. Is this the first conceivably of many moves, especially on the defensive side? And I'm not talking so much about uh, necessarily uh, uh, releasing or waiving players, but uh, changes in the lineup. Um, I thought DJ Jones had his best game, the nose tackle the other day. And he had to play a lot more than usual because Purcell was out. He played 65% of the snaps, and I thought he was the Broncos' best uh, defensive player. But there is still the trade deadline looming on October 31st, Chris. Um, Do you get the feeling that there is more to come, Uh, maybe in terms of trade rather than uh, releasing or waiving a player, that the changes didn't, start and end today the changes will continue oh unequivocally i'm getting that feeling because after this jets game they've got the kansas city chiefs twice in a three game span prior to the trade deadline so uh if the record falters you figure the next four games if they lose three of those four yeah i think there's going to be guys traded if they go two and two and they're sitting at three and five, you know, do they say, hmm, maybe we've got a chance? You know, that's the, that's the point there where, where you wonder. But, you know, if they lose three out of four and two of those games are against Kansas City, I would think uh, we're going to see some guys, you know, if not traded, released, or at least attempted to trade them. Do you have any thoughts on what appears to be wrong with Patrick Sertan, who by his own admission – has not exactly been at the top of his game in the first month of this season? Yeah, I can't say for, for sure. I mean, obviously, he, his last couple games have not been super stellar. Uh, you know, maybe it's just being surrounded by not exactly a, a stellar defense. I mean, everybody needs help. Nobody can do it by themselves. I mean, uh even Dick Buck just, you know, one on 11 probably wouldn't have fared too well. So, uh, yeah, you know, might just be a product of this is not a good defense and could be a, an historically bad defense for the Broncos. But the defense isn't supposed to lift him. He's supposed to lift the defense. And there's no doubt that he has failed to do that, particularly in the absence of Justin Simmons. And maybe we either overrated Sertan or underrated Simmons at least in the area of leadership because Simmons seems to be missed a lot more than Satan would be missed over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. We'll have to see moving forward. I mean, uh, Simmons is the defensive leader. He's more of a veteran, more of a vo- vocal guy. Than but definitely more is. of a vocal guy, right? Than is yeah, yeah. I mean, Pat, Pat Sertan is still in his third year and that sort of thing. So, you know, I'm willing to give him the uh, benefit of the doubt for now, but there's no question that he hasn't looked like an all-pro cornerback in recent weeks. All right, we're going to ask you the question that we posed at the end of the first hour, Chris. Um, uh, Roughly a month ago, 
We were very excited about this week five matchup between the Jets and the Broncos, thinking not only that both teams would probably be three and one coming into the game, but uh, for all that Sean Payton said about Nathaniel Hackett in the preseason, Aaron Rodgers coming to Denver, and now there's almost none of that except the question that we posed at the end of the last hour, who has the advantage on Sunday? The Jet offense led by Zach Wilson or the Bronco defense, which has reached 42-year historical lows in the first month of the season? Well, I would say the Jet offense. I don't have <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, with Zach Wilson. The Bronco defense, but let's not sell the Bronco offense short. I know the Jet defense is good. Russell Wilson is playing uh, pretty good ball. They're coming back home. You know, they're, they, they're going to win a home game at some point. I don't know when it'll be, but they certainly got a shot on Sunday. So, uh, you know, well, I, I have more confidence, let's put it that way, in the Bronco offense and okay, the Bronco defense. But, but, but at least the Bronco defense, they are getting some key players back this week. Uh, well, okay, there's that. But the thought that with Zach Wilson in particular at quarterback, that the Bronco defense – would be statistically weaker than Zach Wilson in particular and the Jet offense in general would have seemed unthinkable just two weeks ago before Miami and before Chicago. And if Justin Fields can light it up against the Broncos, why can't Zach Wilson, right? Well, you're absolutely correct. I mean, anybody can, but at least, you know, the Broncos are back at home. I'll still need to see more from Zach Wilson. I mean, we definitely saw some encouraging signs against Kansas City. Of course, that was the home game, and then now he's on the road. So, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm taking the, the Jets in that matchup, but uh, wow, I might take the, <laughs> the Bronco offense. I think that they certainly could respond on Sunday. Yeah, um, that's uh, that's perhaps true. Uh, it's it's amazing to me that the Bronco defense, even without some of these guys, uh, has been as bad as it's been uh, the last couple of weeks. I want to ask you about Peyton a little bit because I, for one, like the way he reacted after the game on Sunday, even though he got the game ball from Greg Penner and uh, first win as Bronco coach. Uh, he did not seem to be exactly jubilant uh, after the game, even when he spoke with you guys, and I thought that was the right attitude to take. He was criticized in some quarters for being such a gloomy Gus, but he didn't buy into the all's well that ends well notion and even went as far as to say uh, looking at the game film this week wouldn't be a hell of a lot more fun than looking at it over the last couple of weeks uh, at least. Um, Peyton spoke today, as he does every day. Do you find that he struck the right chord? I mean, obviously happy to win, but not overjoyed about it. Well, um, let me preface this question. My cell phone's running a little bit low, so if anything happens, All right. don't take a fit. But uh, to answer your question on Peyton, yeah, I think he's taking the, the right approach. There wasn't like, hey, we won the game. Yeah. All right. 
Great We're on comeback. Our way. Yeah. Hip, hip, hooray. Right. I mean, he pretty much stated after the game and throughout this week that there's a lot of work that they have to do. I mean, he knows they were quite fortunate to win that game, and they were pushed all over the field by Chicago, which was the number 29 team in total offense entering the game. So he knows there's issues, but at least there are some players coming back on defense this Sunday, probably Justin Simmons, probably Josie Jewell, and we'll have to see on Frank Clark. As always, our thanks, Chris. Go recharge your phone, and uh, we'll visit again soon. Thank you. Fantastic. Thanks for having me, Sandy. Appreciate it. Chris Thomason, our buddy from the Denver Gazette. And uh, a lot of territory covered there. Uh, I took a peek at the draft order for 2024 as things stand now. Could you imagine? And I, I don't know that. This has happened in a while. Um, Danny is our uh, research guy here. How about the first and second overall picks going to the same team? And that team being the Chicago Bears, who are actually in good shape for the first pick. But they're in good shape for the first pick because Carolina is right there with them at 0-4. And their first pick, if it's the Carolina pick and Carolina finishes, either the Bears have to finish with a worse record or Carolina has to finish with a worse record. The Bears are fine either way. It is entirely possible that Chicago Bears will be making the first two draft picks in the 2024 draft. And as of now... According to ESPN projections, the Broncos will be picking fourth overall with only an 8.5% chance to pick first. A 52.1% chance to pick in the top five and an 82.6% chance, pretty good bet, to pick somewhere in the top ten. But can you imagine the Chicago Bears having the first two picks in the draft. I guess here in Denver, we have to be content with the Broncos finally again having a first-round pick wherever it may fall. We'll talk about that more next here on Mile High Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough, Chandro Tar, as we continue our program this afternoon on this fourth day of October, 2023. Mile High Sports, 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3. Our call at text line is 303-831-1340. Our thanks to Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette. On a newsy day out in Broncoland, as uh, Denver waves Isang Bassey, the cornerback, 
Nickelback, really, the starting Nickelback. That is their base defense, after all, these days. Uh, he is waived today as uh, Jaquan uh, McMillan played more 43 snaps than Bassey did in Chicago the other day, seven snaps, and that should have been perhaps a pretty clear sign that Bassey was in disfavor with the organization. More noteworthy, though, was the release of Randy Gregory, the age of 30, the outside linebacker the Broncos signed a couple of years ago prior to the 2022 season for five years and $70 million. Now, that contract was not fully guaranteed, obviously, but uh, the money that Gregory is owed this year, he will receive. It's guaranteed. And there is apparently a little bit of guaranteed money that spills into 2024. But Gregory's play which was actually a year ago at this time, seemingly quite good before he got injured. And injuries with Randy Gregory seem inevitable. When he came back last year, uh, he didn't play nearly as well. He got into a fight on a disgraceful day overall for the Broncos at SoFi against the Los Angeles Rams. And then this year did absolutely nothing through the first four games. He did have one sack. Uh, he did have nine tackles in four games to go alongside that one sack, but was making no impact whatsoever and was part of the overall critique made by coaches Peyton and Joseph as to the reason that, or reasons, that the Broncos are dead last or next to last in most every defensive category you can name through the first month of the 2023 season. So Gregory is gone. A strike against George Payton, as Chris Thomason fully acknowledged a few minutes ago because Payton was here, George Payton, when Gregory was brought to the Mile High City and engineered the deal and was praised in many forums for stealing Gregory away from the Dallas Cowboys. It seemed that Gregory had been on the verge of re-signing with Dallas, but at the last minute, the Cowboys threw in a few clauses into the contract that Gregory and his agent did not appreciate. Uh, Jerry Jones was livid when Gregory left and ended up in Denver believing that those clauses never should have been thrown in. As it turns out, the Dallas Cowboys were exactly right to throw those clauses into the uh, deal, including uh, at least one of Jerry Jones' sons who advocated for that. Uh, the Jones family is most definitely managing, even on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, the comings and goings in Dallas. So, Jerry Jones is wrong, uh, but uh, cooler heads prevailed. And I remember Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator still, and uh, multiple-time Bronco head coaching candidate Dan Quinn, uh, saying to friends of his after 
Gregory left for Denver that the only guy we can't afford to lose wears number 11 for us. <laughs> Randy Gregory is eminently replaceable. In fact, Randy Gregory doesn't play all that often. Micah Parsons runs our defense and dominates teams. Randy Gregory does nothing of the kind, and that should have been a tip-off right there. And even the Broncos benched Randy Gregory in favor of Nick Benito, who had a great second half in Chicago the other day, but was not particularly good in the first half either, as noted at halftime by Sean Payton when he spoke uh, off-camera with uh, the CBS sideline reporter in Chicago on Sunday afternoon. So it's a very newsy day in that respect. And uh, Chris Thomason also reporting that Justin Simmons is almost certainly going to be ready to play on Sunday against the Jets. Josie Jewell should be back for that game and perhaps Frank Clark, although uh, Clark apparently is not nearly as enthusiastic about coming back for this game as he was last week when he was talking about coming back for the Jets game. Uh, So maybe there too, uh, waiting an extra week might not be the worst idea in the world. But we go back to the offseason, right? Some were talking about how Clark and Gregory is a pass-rushing tandem, edge rushers would combine for 15 sacks, 20 sacks even, and the Broncos would be back in the pass-rushing business. And as it uh, turns out, they are not. Uh, We're talking right at the end of the last segment about how the draft might shape up according to the way the first month has gone in the NFL, and everybody's played four games. uh, Bye weeks have not uh, hit us yet. And the possibility that the Chicago Bears either through their own doings or through the ineptitude of the Carolina Panthers, whose pick they have, could be making not just the first overall pick in the draft next spring, but the second overall pick as well. At the moment, according to ESPN projections, the Giants would be picking third, the Broncos fourth, and Arizona fifth. After that, it would be Las Vegas, New England, the Jets, Cincinnati, and Washington all have their own selections. Then from 11 through 20, Pittsburgh, Indianapolis, Minnesota, Green Bay, Arizona, Tennessee, New Orleans, Atlanta, and Houston would be picking 19th with Cleveland's pick, and the Rams would be picking number 20. And from 21 through 32, you'd have, as of right now, Jacksonville, Tampa Bay, the Chargers, Seahawks, Lions, Eagles, Cowboys, Ravens, Chiefs, Dolphins, 49ers, and Bills. A Bills 49ers Super Bowl would not seem to be out of the question, but of course, it is uh, early on in the season. We were talking earlier about uh, guaranteed money and salaries, and we were also talking about the idea 
that was true more than 40 years ago and still true, I imagine, today, that if you're in your 30s and you are not starting, regardless of whether the team is good, bad, or indifferent, you're not going to be around for very long. Chris Thomason uh, made that same point during our conversation uh, earlier in this hour. And I, I think up in Boulder, when people wonder, inquire as to how long Deion Sanders is likely to stay, the matter of money is far less important than a whole lot of folks seem to be imagining. And I'm talking about folks in our business. I'm not just talking about fans. We have said this before, that if and when Deion Sanders leaves Colorado, I don't think it's going to have much to do with the salary he's getting or the contract he signed. Deion Sanders was asked this week if he would accept a lifetime contract to be the head coach at the University of Colorado. And Deion Sanders, who whatever you may think of him, has been around and understands the money business, also understands that he will always make more money off the field than he'll make while coaching. Now, as it happens, Deion Sanders making $5.5 million a year or thereabouts to coach at the University of Colorado is the 32nd highest paid coach in the country at the present time. Sean and I have made this point. Deion Sanders did not come here because Colorado offered him a contract that would make him one of the 30 highest paid, 20 highest paid, 10 highest paid, five highest paid, coaches in all of college football. That was not what he was about. The challenge of resurrecting a 1-11 program, I think, appealed to him. I think the fact that he had great confidence that he could do better than 1-11 and maybe quite a bit better than 1-11 and therefore generate attention, excitement, and opportunities off the field, I think that occurred to him as well. And the idea that, well, he'll just go to the first Big Ten team that offers him a job or the first SEC team that offers him a job, as Mel Tucker did, right? after the 2019 season, when he got a better offer from Michigan State, broke his commitment and, frankly, his contract to leave the University of Colorado, that Deion Sanders would react in the same manner if Colorado goes to a bowl game this year, for example, or has a winning record this year. I'm not sure that's true. 
Big Ten teams had their shot at Deion Sanders. They weren't interested. And I would suggest that the primary reason they weren't interested is because along with giving him maybe a little more money than he's making right now at the University of Colorado, they didn't want to give him the control. That had more to do with the money that no Big Ten program, even woe-begone Big Ten programs, and there are a few of them, didn't want to give him that kind of control. And I think of a place like Auburn. Why on earth wouldn't Auburn at some point over the last year, two years, Auburn fires football coaches all the time. Why would they have never seriously considered? Why did they never seriously consider Deion Sanders as a coaching candidate? Even interview him. And it wasn't because they couldn't afford it. They're paying coaches now that they fired. They're paying the coach that they hired. And they're also paying, I imagine, multiple coaches they fired. I'm not sure of that. But the last coach they fired is still getting paid by Auburn, as far as I know. At least getting paid some by Auburn. They don't mind paying coaches not to coach for them. But they didn't want to give Deion Sanders control. Rick George was willing to give control to Deion Sanders that he couldn't get anywhere else. And that means more to Deion Sanders than his annual salary to be a coach. As we said a couple of weeks ago, like him or not. Deion Sanders is not just football famous in the way that Kirby Smart at Georgia, a two-time national champion, is football famous. Deion Sanders isn't just football famous. Kirby Smart is football famous. Dabo Sweeney is football famous. Nick Saban probably is a little more than football famous in the sense that Nick Saban could probably start walking through Central Park and he wouldn't have to travel far before somebody recognized him. But you know why that is? In some measure, it's because he's been on television commercials with Deion Sanders. That's maybe the most important reason that would explain Nick Saban being recognized quickly upon a journey through Central Park in New York City. Deion Sanders wouldn't be able to go 10 yards because he is a famous person. And that is the advantage that he had long before long before he became the head coach at the University of Colorado, and that level of visibility, that celebrity, has only increased since he took the job, and it still exists. Even if the CU-Arizona State game to be played at, what, 4.30 Mountain Time? I believe on Saturday afternoon. On the Pac-12 network. Telecast will be on the Pac-12 network. 
which not a lot of folks get. I get the Pac-12 network. But since the Pac-12 is dissolving, I imagine that the Pac-12 network will be dissolving too, right? At the end of the season. One would oh, think, anything, yeah. anything's possible, I suppose. But they, they have... I, I don't know what kind of arrangement will continue to exist with respect to the Pac-12 or what they'll call the Pac-12. I suspect there will be some kind of merger arranged that would involve Mountain West Conference schools in the Pac-12. But the fact remains, Deion Sanders doesn't need the Pac-12 to be famous. He doesn't need to be the coach at the University of Colorado to be famous. He brings that along with him for better and for worse. And there are some people who say that's worse than it is better, and there are some people who feel it's better and not really worse in any sense. But it isn't about the money in this particular case. One of my favorite sayings, uh, George Young, the late great general manager of the New York Giants during their Super Bowl years, said this once, when they say it's not about the money, it's always about the money, except with Deion Sanders, who doesn't need to be one of the 30 highest paid coaches in major college football in order to be something more than football famous. Famous, period. We'll come back and uh, wrap things up. Lots to talk about in Bronco land today, and we'll have some final thoughts next as we continue. Sandy Clef, Sean Rotar. Sean's sitting out today. He's off. He'll be returning tomorrow. This is Mile High Sports, 98.1 FM and 107.5 HD3. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough, Sean Rotar, with Sean off today and returning tomorrow. We are fine. A little bit solo. I say a little bit solo because we have the great Danny Bailey as our executive producer on the other side of the glass. This is Mile High Sports 98.1 FM 107.5 HD3. Our caller text line remains 303-831-1340. We're streaming on milehighsports.com slash listen milehighsports.com slash watch as well in the free Mile High Sports app as we uh, continue here. And uh, putting Russell Wilson's year into proper perspective through the first month, almost a quarter of the season, of course, now it's four games played, not out of 16 anymore, but out of 17. But maybe with the passage of the first four games of the season, getting to get a sense of how well he's played relative to the play of other quarterbacks in the league. And uh, the Athletic every week puts together a ranking of uh, quarterbacks who have seen action, even if they aren't starters, throughout the National Football League every week now. And they present four categories, expected points added per dropback 
overall, which you talked about already in relation to defense, where the Broncos are dead last in that category defensively. EPA per drop back in the previous week, passer rating overall, and passer rating from the previous week. And if you take a look at the last three, Russell Wilson was a top five quarterback in the NFL this past week. So it was correct to suggest that if he continues to play at this level, even considering that the Bears did not exactly provide formidable opposition on Sunday, if he plays at that level and keeps playing the way he generally has in the first half, during the second half, as he did last week, in which he had not particularly done during the first three games of the season, yeah, he's pretty close to being a top 10 quarterback. But the the interesting thing about the numbers, 0.40 expected points added per dropback. That's, that's very good. That's almost half a point. It's four-tenths of a point added every time he drops back to pass. That was true in Chicago. On Sunday, and that's as well as anybody played. The best quarterback throughout the season in the NFL and the best quarterback on expected points added per drop back this past weekend was Brock Purdy of the 49ers, who averaged more than a point every time he dropped back to pass. Amazing. Tua, who is overall the number one quarterback for the year in EPA per dropback, was minus 0.11. They lost a little more than a tenth of a point every time Tua dropped back to pass. Obviously, it wasn't entirely Tua's fault. After all, he wasn't playing the Denver Broncos. He was playing the Buffalo Bills, who have one of the best defensive teams in the NFL, even without Vaughn Miller and they'll be getting Miller back in the next few weeks. Josh Allen had a terrific game on that same field with Tua in Buffalo in their smashing 48-20 win over the Dolphins on Sunday. And his EPA per drop back was 0.67. And C.J. Stroud, who has played better than other young quarterbacks, particularly rookie quarterbacks, so far this year, was number three, 0.45 points per dropback on Sunday. And Wilson was number four. That's that's very good. Russell Wilson overall this year has a passer rating of 106.7. That's third in the NFL. Excellent. But here's what's weird. His QBR, which is a 1 to 100 metric, and takes into consideration more than passer rating generally does, 51.3. And that's not even in the upper half of the league. Although 51.3 is pretty close to average. That would place him, I believe, 19th. So that's that's an odd discrepancy, isn't it? That his passer rating would be top three, but he would barely be in the top 20 with a quarterback rating metric assigned to him. 
But let, let's take his rating last week. Again, much as his EPA per dropback was fourth in the league, he had the fourth best passer rating too. So it was a good game by any measure for Russell Wilson, particularly in the second half. And those who have noted that he stayed positive, the relentless positive vibe that he gives out, probably did the Broncos some good the other day when they were behind 28-7 to and even 28-14. to Probably did them a lot of good. And after they returned the fumble by Fields that was forced by Benito and taken to the end zone by Cooper, the Broncos didn't need Russell Wilson to tell them they were probably going to win the game at that point. Now, overall, when it comes to EPA per dropback this year, Russell Wilson is a little bit better to date than I thought he would be. But he is not a 10 best quarterback in the league figure at this point. Two has been better. Purdy's been better. Allen's been better. Herbert's been better. Mahomes has been better. Mayfield, Stroud, Stafford even, when it comes to EPA per dropback overall. And that's a pretty good metric to go by. The Dobbs kid out in Arizona has been terrific. Prescott right on the edge of the top 10 the way he usually is. It's been Dak Prescott for all his strengths and weaknesses that we're generally used to seeing. After that, I I think it's very close between Jared Goff, who's on a good team in Detroit, and Russell Wilson, who's on a bad team in Denver. And yet right behind Wilson, you find Richardson of Indianapolis, Geno Smith, who would be ahead of Wilson if not for a bad game the other night even though Seattle won comfortably over the Giants. They won that game on defense more than they did on offense. Jordan Love will be coming to Denver in a few weeks. Also has been a positive force in an EPA per dropback sense. And so has Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts, who I think have been better than their numbers in this particular category would suggest. After that, everybody's negative. Everybody else who's played quarterback this year in the NFL is on a negative side, where Russell Wilson was last year at this time, as a matter of fact. So it is true that Russell Wilson has not really been considering everything that's gone on with the Broncos the first month been even a minor cause of their difficulties. But the question still remains, can he lift his team? And yes, the Broncos will be getting one or two defensive players back this week, maybe more, but it would seem one or two. And the one or two are two pretty credible players, certainly an all-pro type and safety Justin Simmons, and 
an average linebacker in Josie Jewell, who happens also to be the communicator on defense. When the defensive signals are called, he's the one who's on listening to what is being piped in. So we will see how much of a difference that makes for the Broncos on Sunday and how many points they'll need to win this game. They only scored nine off the Jets' defense in Week 7 a year ago. My feeling is that they will need at least 20, at least 20, to win the game on Sunday. Chris Thomason already made his pick earlier in the hour. He said he likes the Jets, although if the Broncos play as they did in Chicago, the Jet defense has not been great so far, at least statistically. Maybe it'll be a shootout between two of the worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL from a year ago, Russell Wilson and Zach Wilson, the two Wilsons in a shootout on Sunday. Could it be? That's it for us. We'll be back tomorrow in tandem. I'll be rejoined by Sean Rotar at 4. Our thanks to Danny Bailey and Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette. Thanks, as always, to you for listening on Mile High Sports, 98.1 FM and 107.5 HD3. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.